the Digital Podcast. My name is Tim Peterson. I am the Senior Media Editor at Digiday. And I'm Kaylee Barber, Media Editor at Digiday. Kaylee, we are doing what is an occasional thing for us where we kind of run through a whole season of news and I think each of us and a lot of people I've been talking to this week are trying to catch their breaths, catch themselves up on everything that feels like it happened over the summer. Um, and so... Kaylee and I thought we would use this episode to kind of recap the summer and what it portends for the fall and fourth quarter and 2023. And Kaylee, I, f- I don't know about you, but I feel like most of the conversations I had this summer were dominated by the economic downturn and how like all it impacted advertising, media, kind of everything that we cover between like rising inflation, rising interest rates, supply chain challenges, Russia-Ukraine war. Uh, Was that your experience as well? Yeah, and I think for part of the summer, like the earlier months of the summer, it was a lot of trying to get people to admit some of these things were happening. I feel like it wasn't until closer to the second quarter earnings reports where people were really kind of, you know, willing to share exactly how bad their ad business had been impacted or even with the public companies, we got to actually see how much of a decrease in in revenue they had there. Um, and it really kind of like lifted the veil over some of the things that we were sensing, but not really getting a, a clarity on until I would say August was a very clarifying month. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, kind of across the board, there were a lot of shifts to strategy. Um, some of them were a little you know, in line with strategy changes in 2020. But I do think that 2022 feels different for a lot of the publishers that at least I spoke to. Um, but yeah, it's a, another year of needing to think fast on your feet, it seems like. Yeah, it's always nice when publicly traded companies are legally bound to disclose earnings and give information about the health of their business. It's super valuable for us reporters. Um, so as we mentioned, economic downturn affected seemingly every facet of businesses. Um, But one that I think we covered a lot over the summer and are continuing to cover is just its effect on media companies, advertising businesses, and then by implication on advertisers' businesses and they're willing to spend with media companies. Kaylee, we had the CRO series that we wrapped up in August. And I feel like a lot of those conversations were just about how these various publishers from the Daily Beast and the Washington Post to Vox Media and BuzzFeed are seeing advertising slowdown or ad spending slowdown in certain categories. But one thing that that has been really interesting to me with that is it's not necessarily across the board with all advertiser categories at the moment. Um, I think in a lot of cases, it's been like CPG and auto um, and tech too, but even then, I th- you know I think some of the publishers were saying, "Oh, CPG is coming back." Others not so much, and I think retail was also the case. Did that stand out to you? Yeah, and actually, in prep for this, I was kind of looking back through some of my notes to see which publishers were claiming which categories were down. So, like across the board, travels up. Like that's you know pretty standard. But you're right, like CPG and food for a few publishers, that was a category that was down. Um, I was talking with Jason Wagenheim at BDG earlier today. That's a growth area for them. And I think it has to do a little bit with their parenting portfolio um, that they acquired a, a year ago. But it's it's not a standard kind of 
all categories are down or all categories um, in a specific group are down and others are up. I think it really depends on what the publishers have in their portfolio and the types of products that they're selling. Because I think these advertisers have slightly different goals. A big KPI that I've heard is looking for conversion metrics, but it's not always like getting to the point of checkout. You know, I think there's also like an eagerness to raise certain engagement metrics too. So like shares or, uh, you know, just even click throughs. So I think like that is changing for certain categories, what products they're willing to spend on right now and which ones they're not. So yeah, you're right. I do think that it's not all the same categories, like retail for BDG was up, but I don't think that's the case for all publishers or all media companies. So it is interesting, but as we're exploring like the fall and and this time of year too, you have things like back to school and then eventually like holiday shopping that are going to change the conversation even more. Um, So it'll be something that we need to like really continually follow. I don't think it's a, you know, one and done story, but I'm curious, like on the streaming side, on the TV side, what are you kind of noting from, you know, these specific categories of advertisers? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's pretty much the same, um, maybe a bit more amplified just because there's so much money that gets spent on TV and streaming. But like I was interested on the one hand, um, the upfront was like pretty healthy and kind of like standard. Um, and, there was money spent there, but then like Roku on its earnings call on its second quarter earnings call talked about how it saw a slowdown in advertising um, and it attributed to the scatter market. And the scatter market is like this this jargon term that's basically just advertisers who buy out of the upfront, um, which is you know they're not buying, committing to these year long deals to spend millions of dollars with a TV network and then kind of like placing those buys on a quarterly basis. It's more like digital where you kind of place your buys almost immediately or kind of like very much in the short term. That's the scatter market. And that's where Roku saw the softness. And so I think that fits with, you know, a lot of the digital media companies or more digital heavy media companies seeing softness in advertising too, because it's that whole idea of, well, it's easy to get the money out there. And so if you're an advertiser and you're worried about how much money you're spending or whether you can afford to be spending that money or you need to kind of shift budget around, you look for, well, where is it going to be easiest to shift budget around? We saw that in spring 2020. We've been seeing that over summer 2022. Um, And then obviously that affects, you know, programmatic too. But the interesting thing is to your point of, you know, advertisers looking for, Okay, what's the inventory that's going to convert people into customers for me? What's going to you know get sales? A lot of that inventory is sold programmatically, and so it's hard to you know say that like programmatic full stop is in a difficult position. I think like the programmatic open market. You wrote about how like programmatic open market CPMs are down, which makes sense. But then you have you know programmatic guarantee deals and private marketplace deals. And those, I don't think I've been affected to the same degree. And that's similar to like in TV and streaming with the upfront where like these big commitments with like the big media companies, the big TV network owners, the big advertisers, those have had held steady, at least for now. I mean, I think we still have to see what the fourth quarter is going to look like. I think the fourth quarter will be very telling and kind of 
maybe getting into like the commerce conversation too, because that was another area that we wanted to touch on. Um, and it was another area that was affected by the economic downturn. Although I feel like there might be other kind of contributors to that. Going back to earnings calls, um, BuzzFeed was one of the companies that reports their commerce business separately. And in their earnings, they showed that commerce was down for them. It's a, a slowing revenue stream. And talking to other publishers, I feel like that's kind of a general consensus. Like commerce is a little bit slower. And Q2 tends to be a little slow to a degree. I think it also depends on where like Amazon Prime Day falls in the calendar year and things like that. But I think, you know, for a while, the supply chain was the, I guess, catalyst or the scapegoat for revenue and, and commerce being down. I think now it's it's more so about like consumers changing their buying habits again, um, you know, during the pandemic. And you and I had talked about this a little bit earlier. Um, there was a big push to e-commerce. And I think, you know, to what you had said, that almost created like a, a false hope that e-commerce would be a very widely practiced shopping habit going forward. But it it kind of looks like that's not really the case anymore, um, at least right now. And so, you know, one of the areas that will be very interesting to follow in Q4 is how commerce is performing, but beyond that, how advertising and commerce kind of converge or drift apart. So like, again, kind of going back to KPIs, there is a push around conversions in campaigns that advertisers have with digital media publishers. Um, again, that kind of definition can change a little bit, but there is that expectation that whatever campaigns they're buying right now has some sort of measurable performance. And in the past couple of years, at least I've written about kind of how commerce and uh, advertising like brand awareness campaigns are, are merging. And there's a little bit of like this hybrid model of having a, a display ad that's really focused on, you know, driving a purchase to one item or even like with branded content, there's a lot of like affiliate kind of ties in now too. And I feel like it'll be interesting to see how those two areas really kind of merge together if commerce itself isn't performing at the level that it had been when it was a very like, I don't know, very maybe affiliate solo business. But at the same time, a few publishers I've spoken with have said that commerce-based like campaigns haven't been performing the way that they thought either. So I don't know. I think the commerce area is a really interesting business that seems to have had a lot of issues the past few months. And, you know, we could talk about platforms too. I'm curious about your thoughts on like what you've seen, because I know you covered um, Instagram uh, having some issues there, but it just seems like it's a area that maybe isn't as self-sufficient as a revenue stream as a lot of people thought it was maybe a couple of years ago. Right. And then there's also like, before we get into the platforms, but like rising inflation. I'm in California. And so the rising gas prices was ridiculous here where you start seeing $6 gallons of gas. Um, but like, I think also people hearing about rising inflation. And so then you start like paying more attention to your grocery bill, the price of what you're buying. There's also like on the streaming side, 
subscriptions like keep going up. Like Netflix raised its price again earlier this year. Hulu's going right now going through another round of raising its subscription price. And there are also just so many more of these big subscription-based streaming services. And so there's all this competition for people's wallet too that I imagine people are just end up getting smarter or more discerning with how they want to be spending their dollars. And there's also one thing we haven't really explored it, but um, I'm curious to like find out about this more and like talk to some folks um, later this year about this, but like retail media, you know, I think at the start of the year back in January, there's the big news about, you know, Best Buy, like fully going into the retail media space. And you have others like Walmart and Amazon and Kroger who are in that space to target. And I wonder if any of that is having some sort of impact on media companies, commerce businesses, just especially like when they pair with their, the publishers advertising businesses. And like, if you're a publisher pitching, Oh, you know, we can help you sell product. That sounds nice and all, but up against an Amazon or a Target or a Walmart who kind of own that point of sale, it feels like that can be a very difficult pitch. And I know that was um, when I talked to some agency executives on the buy side earlier this year, that was kind of how they were looking at it. It's just like the publisher commerce and advertising stuff is good from a brand awareness perspective. You know, we could do branded content with them. We can't really do that with the retailers, but if we're just looking to drive sales, like the retailers own the point of sale. And so we're going to go with the retail media networks. Um, so that's an interesting aspect too, potentially. Coming up after the break, more on the commerce market, signs of hiring freezes, and the ever-present question of the return to office, if you still have one to go to. In the conversation I had with, with Jason from BDG earlier today, he had talked about seeing this kind of struggle point of getting their readers, their audience to recognize their platforms as a destination to make a purchase. And I think, you know, a lot of their brand campaigns, he had told me, were focused more on that middle and upper funnel. Um, like that's just where they're the most successful, really. So when you're getting into that like commerce business, that like BDG shop, for instance, getting those audience members to be in the mindset of making a purchase when those aren't the typical destinations for making a purchase is a little bit tricky. And so it, I mean, makes sense. Like the intent changes based on where a, a user's coming from. It changes based on what they're searching for. Um, obviously like SEO has a, a little bit of a better kind of intent reputation just because, you know, if you're looking for best mattresses, and you Google it, you go to an article and maybe you're already kind of thinking of buying from there. But if you're coming from like social media, for instance, maybe you're not in that mindset. So I think that's where one area publishers are also struggling with is just their audience might not be in the mindset to actually buy something as they would be if they were on walmart.com. The intent is there to your point. And, you know, kind of going on what the retailers are doing in the media space, like live shopping is another area that definitely Amazon has leaned into a little bit. It's, uh, they've tried. I don't know if it's a growth know. area. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's a growth area, but it is showing that they're making like efforts to find more ways to get people consuming very shoppable based content. And so, yes, I am curious like where these retailer retailers are going next, you know, 
they've in the past paid publishers to create content for their website um, in those paid partnerships. Maybe one day they might just buy up a couple publications to see if that works better for them as well. But you're right. I do think that that is a big area of contention when looking at how publishers are approaching their commerce businesses. And yeah, yeah. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I think live shopping is probably technically a growth area, if only because it's like still basically been an almost non-existent. <laughs> From zero. Exactly. Um, and yeah. that also kind of gets at like, yeah, a lot of the non-retail, non-commerce platforms have had a hard time, like, you know, you were talking about with the publishers, getting people to buy on the platforms. You know, TikTok had been testing a shopping program in the UK, got a lot of pushback from creators who were saying it's just not working. And, you know, the Financial Times reported, I think in like early July, TikTok, you know, canceled those plans for the UK and the US. Um, then we reported on Instagram shutting down its affiliate program for creators. Um, it was onerous for the creators to get set up with that program. And like there are also some limits on what non kind of Instagram approved affiliate posts they could then be publishing to the platform. Facebook um, canceled its, you know, live shopping feature. And so, yeah, just commerce seems like it's having a hard time, which makes for a pretty interesting fourth quarter, given that would be the time for commerce to have its commerce media to have um, its heyday. Um, but yeah, folks keep trying to make shoppable video, live shopping a thing. It just hasn't working. Um, speaking of, you know, costs and kind of spending money, another big, you know, trend over the summer and even like late spring, we started seeing this like Sarah Guaglioni, our media, uh, senior media reporter, reported on like layoffs at Food 52, I think in like early May, if I remember right. But there have just been in April. There have been a lot of, you know, layoffs at media companies, hiring freezes. Um, and then also on the like TV and streaming side, you have companies like um, Warner Brothers Discovery just kind of putting a whole freeze on production and just not signing new deals. Um, part of that is because of the merger. They're trying to, you know, cut, I think, $3 billion worth of, you know, costs over the next year, a couple of years. Um, but then like Netflix is similarly trying to, you know, rein in costs because it's had a hard year. And and then yeah, the you know, publishers similarly are trying to, you know, all rein on costs. That came up during the earnings calls as well and some of the reporting we've been doing. Yeah. I mean, touching on Sarah's uh, reporting for a little bit, because she's done a great job kind of covering this area. Um, yeah. Layoffs, hiring freezes, um, being very judicious in the areas in which publishers are still hiring. That's another thing that we've heard um, a bit, like focusing on jobs that really touch like direct revenue. And I think, you know, that could include sales jobs, but I think it's more so in like the creative campaign um execution jobs too. One of the other stories that she's been following is kind of what digital media companies are doing with their office spaces in Manhattan, which have notoriously high, uh, you know, rental costs or leases or I guess mortgages, maybe not. I don't know how they really go about buying or renting that space. But she mentioned that a few bigger publishers, especially ones that had just gone through mergers, are freeing up some of that office space now. And I think in a way that's to cut costs, maybe recoup some costs as well. But there's this whole kind of dynamic of how do you return to office and, and get into that side of things while also maybe saving on office spaces. And, you know, New York 
real estate is no joke right now. I feel like costs are probably higher than they were pre-pandemic. Maybe not. But, you know, that is one cost-saving area that we're starting to see a little bit of. Right. And then that affects hiring in some ways because I think a lot of the conversation around the return to office has been around people who don't want to return to the office, or at least not on a fixed basis or a full-time basis. They want, you know, more flexibility to work from home, um, which as someone who's been working from home for more than a decade at this point, I totally understand that. But then there's also the aspect of, I've talked to some media executives who've had a hard time hiring people because they don't have an office. Spring 2020, everyone started working from home. Those companies got rid of their office spaces to save on costs. Um, and now they've had you know some candidates that they've offered positions to. And those people said, well, do you have an office? Because you know, in some cases, those are people who have kids and you know live in New York with like you know family in a two bedroom apartment. They just want an office space to be able to you know work from kind of away from the mayhem of their personal lives. Or you know, people who maybe are in sales and they want like a spot to be able to meet um, and have meetings with clients. But then there are also you know people who maybe are in their 20s. Um, I heard a couple examples of where it was, you know, candidates who were in their mid-20s and they wanted to have an office because they wanted to meet people and kind of the social side of the office was what they wanted. Um, so I think like that dynamic continues to exist where it's not clear cut on to what extent anyone wants to return to the office or not to return to the office. I think it's a whole spectrum and that continues to be an issue and an issue that's popping up in these um, unionization talks uh, between publishers and their newsroom unions, which <laughs> we keep talking of Sarah and for good reason, but which she's done a great job staying on top of as well. Um, and that gets, I mean, that's going to be really interesting through the fall is like, I think more and more of these media companies like post Labor Day plan to have their office returns. Yeah. I don't know if you remember, but um, at our DPS uh, Digital Publishing Summit back in March, one publisher uh, we had spoken with, um, anonymous for the purposes of this podcast, but they had said that they were having a really hard time retaining talent because they were moving back to in office. And I feel like at the time, um, and that was a, that was a larger publisher, but at the time, I think there was a lot of talks in the late spring, um, early summer in, in DPS at the time, that was end of March. There was a, a whole new variant going around too. So you get into this issue of expecting people to come in. Health is still a big, you know, consideration for a lot of people. And at, that particular time, I think expecting people to come in two or three times a week was a little premature. And yeah, it did get, you know, unions involved. It did get, um, you know, pretty dicey, I think, with some of the the conversations. Um, but it also caused people to lose, uh, you know, talent because of that. And it's interesting now because I think the job market's a little different. I don't think the great resignation is as prominent as it had been, you know, a few months ago. So people might have to stick it out. Um, but it is still an interesting story. And I know like the Washington Post was one company that kind of was in a bit of hot water with their union um, after they expected their uh, employees to come in three times a week, I think it was. And, you know, that was, that was something that happened earlier this summer as well. And I think it's something that we'll continue to kind of see, but 
you know, with the return of in-person events and with the return of like work travel, I think the return of office space is going to probably really take off in the next few months or early next year. Um, at the same time, considering cost-saving measures, maybe some companies are not going to be as willing to sign a, a major lease. I think that's still a very valid, you know, money-saving measure that maybe mid to smaller publishers especially are going to be taking into effect, if, especially if they haven't gone back into an office yet. And one thing that may not take off as much over the next few months is uh, post-cookie preparations. So I think the one non-economic downturn related, like big development that we were tracking over the summer, is I don't think it was economic downturn related, but maybe um, Ronan Shields and Seb Joseph will you know report on that if there is that angle. But Google delaying the deprecation of the third-party cookie in its Chrome browser yet again so and for two years this time yeah well yeah and i mean it's also like the second year in a row that google has done this it'll be interesting to hear we have the digital publishing summit coming up the week of september 19th um, which you and i'll both be at i'm really looking forward to hearing from the publishers there about just where do the cookie preparations, you know, stand post cookie preparations stand right now? I expect that it'll be a lot of we're still at it, you know, still, you know, collecting our first party data, still assessing alternate identifiers like unified ID 2.0, um, still, you know, kicking the tires on seller defined audiences. Sub did a great piece on that um, in August. I actually think he did a couple of great pieces, but I think. Google pushing the delay yet again, I mean, that's just not going to force advertisers to pick up the pace. And that's been the issue all along is that advertisers are going to keep with a third-party cookie until they have to get off it. And I feel like the advertising slowdown and kind of that um, heightened focus on performance-based advertising and you know those metrics like conversions a lot of those are really dependent on the third-party cookie. We had in the media briefing earlier this year a piece talking where you know publishers were talking about like they were really worried about third-party cookie going away. How's that going to break measurement attribution? Well, they don't necessarily have to worry about that just yet. Um, and then for the advertiser standpoint, they get to keep their measurements and their attribution. And heading into Q4, I would expect they're going to try to further hold on to those old measurements because they wanted like that's their basis for knowing whether the dollars they spent work and making the case to their CFOs and CEOs and their boards to keep their budgets for 2023. So I'm really I'm curious how this latest delay is going to pan out and what the folks at DPS have to say about it. Yeah, well, that's the economic downturn angle right there. I think you're right. I think there's going to be a lot of advertisers holding on to third-party cookies as they get the budgets to continue like campaigns um, because, yeah, there doesn't seem to be a huge incentive. I know some publishers are, I don't want to say boasting, but they're claiming at least that a large part of their uh, impressions are run through their first-party data offerings that they have. So, for some publishers, I don't think it's necessarily a huge concern. I don't think they were like uh, super put off by Google's delay. Um, Ryan Polly at uh, Vox was one of the CROs we talked to that you spoke with for the podcast series who 
said he didn't really, I think, bat an eye, um, if I have the quote right, when that happened. But yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see what this does to the sense of urgency um, or lack thereof. So yeah, definitely uh, will likely be a big topic of conversation at DPS this year. Right. Yeah. Because then like, you know, related to the urgency point, the one development that, you know, did not really come through was a federal privacy bill in the U.S. There was one that was proposed um, by a committee in the House, but it doesn't seem like it's actually going to come through, which I mean, when we had uh, Dominique Sheldon Leipzig on the podcast in July, she said, yeah, I don't really see this, you know, coming through um, because there's so much division within Congress because Congress has a really hard time getting, you know, much done. Um, but then also, you know, with the midterm elections, like that's just, that hasn't been as much of a priority. And, uh, you know, I think, uh, late August, early September, you know, speaker of the house, Nancy Pelosi said, I'm not so sure about the matter, uh, the you know federal privacy bill that was up for discussion um, because California has its own privacy law and Californians um, California's government at least really very much wants to not see wants to make sure that law it becomes the standard it seems I think that was her point of contention um, but so without a U.S. federal privacy law what does that do to the sense of urgency on the other hand California still has the uh, California Privacy Rights Act that'll be taking effect, um, as Dominique talked about, and so that's still going to put a lot of pressure on companies. So that's a that's probably another new topic for us to dig into with all the publishing executives at DPS. Absolutely. Well, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. Tim and I both get into summer recaps for our respective beats on our briefings, uh, the future of TV briefing and the media briefing, both of which are Digiday Plus products. So if you're not yet a subscriber, definitely subscribe to read more about what happened this summer. And yeah, if you will be in Miami and haven't yet bought a ticket, join us at DPS to talk more about this. Thanks, Tim. Yep. Thanks, Kayla.